Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Can we give God some praise for what he's doing through that incredible ministry? Awesome. Well, it's good to be with you, church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm the creative pastor here at the Christ the King Bellingham campus. Um, and a couple things that you should know about me. The first is this. I have the most incredible, kind, generous, and beautiful wife of five years who still hasn't figured out that she is way out of my league. All thanks be to God. Any other husbands out there who just married like way up, who just really had no, no reason for actually even going into that conversation, but God was gracious. Just so you know, how quickly you put your hand up is directly related to how your ride on the way home is going to go. So <laughs> consider yourself warned. I also have the most beautiful little five-month-old girl at home. Her name's Brooklyn, and uh, she's just fantastic. So if you hate adorable pictures of beautiful uh, like five-month-old people in Carhartt hats, then steer clear of my Facebook because that is what you are going to get, a steady dose of pictures of her. And I just tell you this because, honestly, everything that I see, every story that I read, the Bible, I see through those lenses, through those relationships. And I wanted to start our time this morning with a question. So how many of you have ever had an argument where by the end of the argument you had no idea what you were actually arguing about? <laughs> You're thinking to yourself, I don't know how this hellish conversation started. All I know is that I'm very confused and I'm very angry and I keep saying things like, I know you are, but what am I which isn't helping at all? It's getting real juvenile. Or maybe you've had this one, this, this laundry dispute where you have a tendency to leave your socks all over the house. This isn't about me. A friend of mine told me that this is something that people do. <laughs> and it's, it's not coming out of your heart. It's not something you're doing consciously, but subconsciously you, you do it again. And, and you're a little bit caught off guard because they're so frustrated with you. And in your mind, all that you do is leave some socks on the floor. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal because it's just socks. But here's the real issue, is that you're not actually talking about socks. You're actually talking about the fact that, that she's already told you 10 times what to do with your socks. And so now she doesn't really feel listened to. Now she doesn't really feel loved. She's not feeling respected. She kind of feels like she has to parent her partner, which doesn't leave her feeling particularly happy. 
And so we're left in this place where we have all this emotion, all this frustration, and we ball it up, and we're trying to have uh, the conversation about um, all these different things, but we're using a conversation about socks. And you're wondering, why do they have such a profound hatred of socks? It's because it's not about the socks. Will you look at your neighbor? Will you say it's not about the socks? You see, the socks are just the vessel that we're using to have the bigger conversation. We're talking about our, our relationship. We're talking about our love. We're talking about respect. But we're trying to express all those things through this very narrow medium of socks. And it, it, it really leaves us with a lot of problems. And the sad part is that a lot of times we actually have no idea what conversation we're actually trying to have. We can't seem to find or identify the root, so we just continue to argue about the fruit. Is it okay if we talk about real life this weekend? Is it okay if we talk about the relationships and dynamics and tensions that we have to manage on a day-to-day -day basis between Monday and Sunday as soon as we hit the parking lot? Is it okay if we actually go after that? Because a lot of times I feel like we're just kind of circling around the topics that we're really engaged in and that we really want to go after. If I'm honest, sometimes I feel like a lot of my life is spent having conversations that only manage to circle around the thing I'm actually interested in talking about. So I'm wondering if we can, we can just put that in the center, we can name it, we can call it out, we can say this is what it's like to be human and this is what God says and this is his heart. Because wisdom always invites us to pull back and ask the question, what's this really about? Because there's no way it's about socks. There's no way. And so when I got invited to come and start this new series, Entrusted, which deals with money and finances and generosity and stewardship and what to do with what we've been entrusted, you know, I had to ask this question. The first question that I asked is, what's this really about? And I've been asking God, is there a way that we can frame this conversation so that we can see your heart we don't just circle around it. We actually understand that in the middle of this conversation is an invitation to generosity. God, what's that about? Can we find language for what it is that you're inviting us into? Because I would hate to waste our time talking about socks when there's something deeper that actually means something to us that we're just circling around. So I would love to peel back some of those layers first. I'd love the opportunity to pray with us. Would you mind bowing your head? Lord Jesus, we are interested and understanding your heart. We are interested in, in understanding the invitation that you have for us because we know that you're a good God who's calling us to a level of transformation that leads to your kingdom coming on this earth. God, would you show us what it looks like to identify name, to allow wisdom to ask the question, what's this really about? Would you give us a sense of clarity? Would you show us your heart, God? Would you show us your heart? We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So what I've prepared for us this weekend is, is what I'm hoping can be a framework for the conversation we're walking into. I'm hoping that we can have some clarity with regards to this series, this conversation, and what God's really talking about when he's talking about money, when he's talking about generosity, when he's talking about stewarding the things that we've been entrusted. So it's, it's pretty simple stuff, but I'm hoping that... In, encourages you that it deepens your faith and that it allows all of us the opportunity to see what's really at the center of this. And so I've got a couple ideas. My first idea is this. 
my first idea is this. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. Some of you are thinking, that's it? I dragged my butt to church to hear Grant Ernest Fishbook tell me about God stuff. Now some tight jeans up there is telling me that money's not about money. <laughs> Come on, man. I got bonds that have been around longer than you. And, and, and I hear you, but what if, what if it's not actually about the money? What if money's just the vehicle? What if it's the vessel that we use to talk about our hearts? Jesus actually makes this connection for us here in Matthew 6. It's so beautiful. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's pretty sound logic. Verse 21, though, this is the heart of it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so, so here it is. Here it is. Here's what God's after. God's not after the money. God's after the heart. So when we talk about money, it's never just about money. There's always this other level of complexity because it's intrinsically connected to our hearts. And so it's not about money. It's about our priorities. It's about what we choose to place value in. It's what we choose to invest our time and our talent and our treasure into. What are we pouring ourselves out into this world for? And so there's so much more to the story. It's never a simple conversation. It's actually deeply personal. It's deeply profound and convicting and challenging. It's not about the money. It's about what we choose to worship, what we choose to direct ourselves towards. Pastor Grant says it like this. He says, show me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll tell you what you worship. Show me what you spend your money on and what you spend your time on, and I'll tell you what your trajectory is, what you're choosing to long for. I love that. And when Jesus talks about money, here's the first um, fill in the blank if you guys are note takers. It's not a money issue, it's a heart issue. When Jesus talks about your money, it's not because he wants something from you, it's because he's trying to get something to you. Scripture says it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And I don't know if you know this, but money's one of the things that wages war on our freedom. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but whether you have a little or a lot, our heart has this weird tendency to get very intrinsically intertwined with dollars and cents, incomes and savings, stuff. And if that's you, I just want to say that doesn't make you bad, that makes you human. Welcome to the human experience. That's what it means. We have this connection between our treasure and our heart. So we're gonna call it out, we're gonna put it in the center. We're gonna say, God, what are you inviting us into? Because I know it's not just about money. God is not trying to take something from you. He's actually trying to give you something so much better. He's trying to give you an anchor, an identity, and a peace that transcends and sits above every season, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So I want to share with you one of my favorite Bible stories. It's one of those stories that it seems like every time I circle back around to it, it just has something new for me. It's got this added flavor and depth to it. And if you've heard it a hundred times, I just want to challenge you to look again. 
Because oftentimes, hiding right beneath our assumption that we already know the story is the new lesson that God wants to teach us. And so if you believe that, let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 18, it says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. Love that Jesus doesn't even bother answering his question. He answers the question that he wants to engage in. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the ruler said. And when Jesus heard this, he said one last thing. He said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So there's actually an invitation in this. He's not just telling them what to do. He's telling them, follow me. Verse 23 says, when he heard this, he became sad. Why? Because he was very wealthy. When I was reading that, I was just struck by what a weird sentence that is. He became very sad. Why? Because he was very wealthy. You ever heard anybody say that? I could think of a hundred things to put in there that would make a lot more sense to me. He was very sad because, man, we got to no, it's because he's wealthy. So most of us know this story by the name, the rich young ruler. Have you heard that phrasing of it? The rich young ruler, will you put your hand in the air? Like, have you heard of this story? So here's my second idea. It's not about a rich young ruler. It's not about a rich young ruler. Because here's what I think is so fascinating. Uh, God showed this to me this week, so I'm so excited to, to share it with you. Again, it's pretty simple, but if you look at the story itself, it never calls him a rich young ruler. It calls him a certain ruler. All the major translations say this. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's actually not until the very last word of the story. So the last sentence, the last paragraph, the last word that we, the reader, get to actually understand what it is that this guy's wrestling with. We find out that he's got a lot of stuff. So why does everyone call him the rich young ruler? Well, it's actually because somewhere along the line, somebody put a header above his story. A reference point so that us, the reader, would actually know what we're about to walk into. He said, we're going to make this easy for you. This is about a rich young ruler. They put a label on the story. And now before we even get to read the story, we see the header, which makes us think that we know what the story is about. It actually impacts the way that we read it. I don't know if you have any experience with this. Maybe before somebody took the time to get to know you, they made the assumption that they already knew you because of what somebody else had said about you. Somebody had labeled you. And ever since, it seems like it's really hard when people interact with you to see past your label and actually engage with the human being that's beneath it. You know, so I, I personally drive a 98 Camry named Bruce. <laughs> Shout out to Bruce. A couple things you could know about Bruce. His passenger door doesn't actually open from the outside. You can only open it from the inside. This has actually been a blessing in disguise because anytime my wife wants to ride, I have to open the door, so we call it the chivalry door because it keeps chivalry alive in our marriage. <laughs> and Bruce's, his, uh, his steering wheel squeaks every time that it turns, which is pretty much all that a steering wheel does. 
He's been hit more times than I can remember. He's pretty much a punching bag on wheels at this point in his life. But what I've realized is this. It's really hard to think of yourself as rich when you drive around in Bruce. Because when you turn the wheel and it squeaks, if you really listen, it's almost like Bruce is telling you, you are not at the top of this food chain. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to think of yourself as rich when you compare yourself to people on Facebook that have more than you do. It's really hard to think of yourself as rich when from time to time you like to enjoy Top Ramen, which for the record, I do. But what if we could look past the label? It says rich young, labor, uh, rich young ruler. What if we could look past that and actually engage with this story? I would submit to you that it's not about being rich. It's about how you hold your riches. What if it's not about being rich? It's about how you hold your riches. It's not about whether you uh, have a lot of stuff. It's about whether your stuff owns you or whether you own it. Jesus says you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And I can't speak for you, but if God told me, Brian, here's, here's what I want from you. I want you to sell everything that you have. And I want you to give all the money away. If that's the invitation that God was calling me into, I would love nothing more than to stand up in front of you and say, I would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. But if I'm really honest, if I really wrestle with that, I think the conversation would look a little bit different. I think I would say something along the lines of God, are you sure? Like, are you really positive? Is that your voice, Lord, or is that mine, like four octaves down? Is that, is that really what you're asking of me? I say, <laughs> is there another way that we could work this out? Maybe I could give you a little bit of prayer in the morning, a little bit extra of that, and I get to keep my stuff. Because if I'm honest, I like my stuff. I like my car. I know he's not much to look at, but at least he's mine. And I'm thinking in the midst of this conversation, like, God, come on. Are you really going to get jealous over a beat-up 98 Camry named Bruce? Is this the hill we're going to die on? He says, that's, that's not the question, Brian. The question is not what kind of car you have. It's how you, you hold what you've got. How do you hold what I've entrusted you with? It has less to do with the amount and more to do with the posture. Because what if this story wasn't about being rich? It was about getting us all to a place where we had to wrestle with this question that's so important for us. Is the deepest desire of our heart more God or more stuff? Here's a question for you. If all the prayers that you've prayed over the last month, everything that you have sent up to God as a request, God answered with a yes, would the kingdom of God get bigger or would your life get a little bit easier? Would the kingdom of God expand? Would love grow in your heart or would your situation just look a little bit better? Because if it's stuff that you're after, then true freedom's always going to be hard to come by. Jesus says, man, it's hard for people to see past their possessions, isn't it? It's hard for people to trust me with what I've entrusted to them. And so as we talk about money, is God 
brings it back into the forefront. It's not about socks and it's not about the money and it's not about the rich young ruler and it's not about how much you have or don't have. Then what's it about? What are we trying to talk about? What are we grasping at here? What are we failing to name and actually draw it out? Jesus says in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for somebody who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so there is where we pivot and we start to understand what's this conversation actually about? Because the rich young ruler is talking about stuff and God is inviting him into the kingdom of God. So it's about the kingdom of God. The disciples say, that's impossible. There's no way for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus says, yes, finally, you're tracking with me. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Will you guys say that with me real quick? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Sometimes I think we literally need to say something out loud to to start believing it, to start grasping it, to actually allow it to stretch us and, and actually center us on what's true. This is really where the good news breaks into the story. Up to this point, things were pretty bleak. But then Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. So whatever we're talking about, it has to do with partnering with God because there's something that God can do for us that we can't do for ourselves. With regards to wealth, with regards to the kingdom of God, and whether we invest our stuff in the earth or in his eternal glorious kingdom. So so this conversation is really about how can we get off of our page and onto God's page because what is possible through my power is not where I'm headed. God is the only one who I can partner with to get me to where I want to go. Which brings me to my third point, which is this. As we start to ask, what's this really about? What's God looking for? What's going to enable me to participate in this story? I would, I would offer up to you that it's, that it's about trust. It's not about how much we have. It's about how much we trust God with what we have. And I can tell you this, church, greed's always going to wage war with your soul. But what God does in an attempt to free us from our greed is he invites us to be generous. He invites us to give gifts that actually feel like they're not even all that safe. To give beyond what feels comfortable. To be truly generous, to pour ourselves out. But here's what few people understand is that our ability to give, our ability to be generous is directly connected to our ability to trust in God. Do we trust that he is who he says he is? And so it's about trust. But what is trust? I know I trust some people and don't really trust others. But what is that thing that we're trying to talk about? And I've shared this story with you before. But I think it bears repeating. I think it's something we need to hear again. And there's no better way that I know to communicate this idea than through this old preacher analogy of Charles Blondin. So do we have any Blondin fans just like big? Yes, Blondin. Okay, perfect. So we got a clean slate. Charles Blondin, for those of you who don't know, in the 1800s, he was a tightrope walker. He was kind of this guy. He had a flair for the dramatic. And Charles was best known. His his biggest uh, point of fame was that he stretched a tightrope across the gorge at Niagara Falls. So all the way across 
like this incredible, beautiful scenery was this tightrope, and he would walk back and forth, and people would come from all around to see Charles Blondin do this incredible feat. He did all sorts of crazy stunts, but the, the one that I think is important for us, there was one time he did something different, a little bit unique. He actually brought a wheelbarrow to Niagara Falls, and he started walking across the gorge. And he had the wheelbarrow, and people were pretty fired up. People were thinking, wow, this is, this is awesome. What a, what a cool thing this is. And so by the time he got to the other side, a crowd had formed. They were fired up. They were, yes, this is awesome. So Charles Blonde and the showman that he was, he decided to fan the flames. He said, who believes that I can make it back to the other side? They said, we believe. He said, who believes I can make it back to the other side? They're getting fired up. They said, we believe. He said, who believes that I can make it back to the other side? They said, we believe. Then he said, then who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go back with me? <laughs> it got pretty quiet. Nobody wanted to make eye contact. Because it's, it's one thing to say that we believe when our feet are firmly planted on safe ground, isn't it? You know, it's one thing to say that we believe while we watch somebody else do something incredible. Do you think I can? Yes, I believe. But it's something altogether different to put your life on the line for the thing that you say that you believe in. And here lies the difference between belief and trust. Belief is passive. Trust is active. Trust is actually belief that's embodied and lived out. He says, yeah, I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to put myself in a place where if this isn't true, I'm going to look like a fool. That's what trust is. That's what it stretches us towards. It's active. That's why it's called a trust fall. If you actually want to know if your friends trust you, you have to fall. But here's what's so funny about trust falls. Even though you know your friends are going to catch you, if you don't know that your friends are going to catch you, you need new friends, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> even though you know that your friends are going to catch you, you still feel that little pit in your stomach, don't you? You still feel that little knot when you fall. And what is that knot? That knot's risk. Because you're taking a risk. You're putting your well-being in somebody else's hands. And friends, I would argue that that's what it feels like. That little pit in your stomach, that is what it feels like to stretch yourself and truly be generous. There's a little bit of risk involved. There's a little bit of, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to give this type of a gift to this person? It almost feels like I'm putting myself in a place of vulnerability. There's a risk we're invited to take. There's a stretching. There's a pit in our stomach when we choose to be truly generous. Which leads to my final point, which is this. It's about the sacrifice. It's not about... The size of the gift, it's about the size of the sacrifice. What's it feel like when you give? In chapter 21, Luke tells this incredible story that perfectly captures the kind of trust. Guys, that, that, that literally moves the heart of Jesus. There's a, there's a trust, there's a generosity that literally moves the heart of God. How crazy is that, that we have the capacity to move the heart of God? Starting in verse 1, it says, When Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, 
This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had to live on. She, out of her poverty, there's a gift that we give not out of our excess, but out of our security. She, out of her poverty, gave all she had to live on. And I can't get this picture out of my head. Here's why I think it's a perfect picture of freedom. This isn't the type of freedom we think about. But I think this is the perfect picture of freedom. Because freedom looks like having a trust in God that's so deep and so true that we actually have access to the ability to go all in. We get to forgo security that we find in other places and we get to actually have the freedom to make the choice, no, I'm going all in, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow, I'm going to the other side. There's a trust that's so deep that it enables you to make decisions that you couldn't otherwise. You can say, I have no other eggs, I have no other baskets, it's just me and you, God, and I might not be much, but I'm all yours, this is my act of sacrifice, this is my worship to you. You've given me this freedom, I choose you. There's a generosity maybe that you've experienced before where you give off the top and you give out of your excess and... I want to say this, I would never do anything to to step on a type of generosity to vault the other up. If you choose to spend whatever God's entrusted you with, if you take somebody out to lunch, if you take somebody out to coffee, that is generosity. You have free will. You can do whatever you want with your money. That's what free will is. So when you choose to actually invest in somebody else, to be a blessing, that makes the heart of God smile. But what Jesus is showing us in this scripture, in this story, is that there's a whole different level of generosity he's inviting us into. There's a whole nother level beneath the surface, beneath the fruit and the root. And there's this generosity that literally stretches us, that stretches our capacity to love, that actually increases our ability to give and to be a vessel through which God pours out his love and his grace and his generosity to the world. There's a gift that we can give that actually increases our capacity to give. That's how God works. A lot of times he's not waiting for us to feel comfortable before we give. He's saying, can you stretch out and I'm going to meet you right there. Because he's stretching out to us. This is how it works. God is a generous God. He's the giver of good gifts. You can't outgive God. God's already given it all. He's extended it all. And so when we extend ourselves out, what we actually do is we allow ourselves the opportunity to see God in a deeper way. Because this is what God's like. So when I reach out, I understand a little bit more of what God's love is for me. And that changes us. To the degree that we understand God's love for us, that's the degree that we are changed. There's a generosity that gets sown with sacrifice. There's a generosity that's born out of trust, that leaves you feeling a bit exposed. There's a generosity that leaves you knowing that if God doesn't catch you, you're going to look like a fool. When's the last time we put ourselves in a situation that if God doesn't show up, we're going to look like a fool? Because it's when we do that that God can actually show that he's faithful. He can show he's not going to be the friend that allows you to fall. He's going to catch you. He's going to take the gift that you've given, and when you get to heaven, you're going to say, I didn't lose that. I actually gained it. It got multiplied. It got used for something eternal. The ripples go out forever. Friends, God is looking for partners who are willing to trust in him. He's looking for partners who are willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go to the other side with him. 
Not because he wants something from you, but because he wants to prove to you that he's trustworthy, that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's all the things that he says that he is. But for us to experience it, there has to be a stretching. We have to stretch ourselves out. We have to sacrifice. And when we allow ourselves to see and understand just a little bit more of what God is like when we actually do it. And that's what this is all about. It's not about money. It's about how God can use money to renew your heart. It's not about stuff. It's about how God can use your stuff to remind your heart that God is great and mighty. That God is big and God's kingdom is worth investing in. So I want to close with this, church. God doesn't want us to wait until it's comfortable to give. He wants to use our discomfort as we stretch out to actually expand our capacity to partner with him. God invites us to ask the question, what do I have right now that I can use for your kingdom, Lord? What do I have right now that I can extend out to somebody in need? Because it's in the stretching that God strengthens and renews us. But it takes practice. Scripture says in James 1, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress. So what an opportunity we have this week. All you need for generosity to be unlocked in you is an outlet. You need a repetition. You need a story that's not from in the past. Oh, I was generous because I did that. Generosity is always flowing out of the present. It's always the opportunities that you take in the now. And all that this conversation is about over the next few weeks, all that Mission Month is about, is about giving you an opportunity to actually realize that God is faithful, God is true, and that when we invest in the kingdom of God, we don't lose, we gain. So I want to encourage you towards generosity. I want to encourage you to stretch towards those in need. Not because we want anything from you, but because we want the best for you. Freely we have received, and now freely we give. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't wait until it was comfortable to stretch out towards us. That you spared no expense, God, as you pursued us relentlessly. God, your You're a giver, not a taker. That was demonstrated so clearly on the cross. God, would that move us past belief that stands on the sidelines and into trust, where we put ourselves in situations so that we can see that you're faithful, and we can be vessels that get used to pour out blessing, that get to pour out your love, your grace. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. This weekend is for you. Would you be at the the tip of our tongue and at the center of our hearts as we go? So we disperse as we be the church. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.